Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What's in store this holiday at your local Staples? Gifts and packages shipped with care. So you can relax in knowing they'll soon be there. Now at Staples, you get 15% off UPS shipping services and 15% off all shipping supplies. Plus, Staples is open seven days a week. So you can ship around your schedule this holiday. And still get everything out in time while spending less. Staples, there's a whole lot in store this holiday. Exclusions apply. In-store only. See associate for details. Ends 12-29-18. About to witness a seismic event. Now, let the party begin. You're healthy. Radio addiction starts now. Hollywood's motorcycle madhouse on iHeartRadio. Yeah. What's up, BD? You are live on the air, my man. Oh, let me turn my teeth off. <laughs> let me turn my desk down. There's a delay on the thing. How you doing, Hollywood? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I just talked to Merlin earlier, and I said, shit, I seen you in here. I was like, we got to get BD on. Oh, I, I was a little late. I, I I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, heck, I'm missing my show. How you doing, man? You're doing great out there. You're looking good, man. Thanks, man. We freaking got everybody all hyped up in the room now that you're on. I was telling Merlin that we got to get me, you, and Dibber on, and on the OBS thing and all freaking get together and have a freaking show. It would be cool as hell, I think. Oh, man, that would be totally cool. <laughs> we, we, we need to go to Europe to do it, though, and go hang out with Gibber and, and, and Israel or someplace. You know, he's all over the world. Hell, yeah, we have to do that. Either that or go to Malta. I want to go see Jester, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think that would be cool, yeah. <laughs> they got to they gotta get us some bikes so we can, you know, go over there in style. Rock and roll. Hey, man, everybody is pumping up and talking about your video today. Holy shit, man, was that a smackdown? Well, you know, I I disdain conflict. I, I don't like conflict with anyone. Um, it's not my cup of tea, you know. I've, I, I started this thing to talk about uh, how bikers should treat each other and, and how we should respect each other and uh, and, and ride and ride free and have a great time. Right, right. And you have been, man. You've been, you know, you're more measured than uh, somebody like me, <laughs> where it's like, hey, screw you. It's just like today I seen that one comment uh, directed towards me. It says, hey, man, you, you talk too homophobic. Well, that's just me. Too bad. But uh, you, you're, oh. re- you're really a good freaking guy, man. And what I never understood about Chuckles is what the hell is this problem, man? You know, you're a good guy. You're out there providing education because God freaking knows a lot of these people go out there and they don't know what the hell they're getting into. You know, uh, I can tell you what happened with cheese. And um, I, uh, I made a statement one time and it really, it really grabbed him and he's never let it go. And after I made that statement, uh, he's been after me like a, uh, uh, like a devil with a hot poker. And it, I think it, it probably hurt his feelings. I, I said, you could never be me because he had come on and he was going to, you know, he was doing his thing and, and, and jumping all over me and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't mean it as if I was better than him. And I even tried to apologize to him for it. What I meant was standing on the outside talking in is just bumping your gums. Right. Until you put a patch on your back, prospect, and for me it wasn't easy. I prospected for almost five years. So, you know, I was probably voted least likely to succeed. But I got in and I did what it took to get to the top of my organization over a 20-year span. 
And so then I became responsible for other people's lives. Uh, you can throw people out to the woods and have people going and attacking people and walking around with constitutions in their hands and all that kind of stuff. But when you got to put a dead body in the ground and look at somebody's wife and she looks you in the eyes and say, uh, my brother, my, my, my father, my son, my husband believed in you and followed you black dragon and you led them to their grave. That's not something that cheese will ever have to deal with because cheese will never do what it takes to get to the top of any organization. So that's what I meant. You can throw your insults around all day and all night. You can tell lies. You can misrepresent what I said. You can do everything possible to generate viewers to your channel. But what you're not going to do, you're not going to walk it like you talk it. You're not fixing to step out there with an MC. You're not even going to step out there with an MC that you don't get a blessing for. You're going to point out everybody else that does it, but you're never going to do it yourself. So I, I wouldn't debate that person. He's an outsider. He's, he's not in this. He doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. So after a while, he just keeps pushing buttons, but Hey, I don't, um, I, I don't, I don't talk to people that, you know, I, it'd be like me trying to tell an airline pilot how to land his plane because I've played a, a video game that teaches you how to fly. Um, exactly. It's not the same. You're not fixing the land on the Potomac like Sully did. Exactly. And you know what? That you know, you brought that up. You prospected for five years. Now that takes dedication and that takes heart. And not only did you prospect for five years, but you did it with the Black Sabbath, one of the most storied clubs uh, uh, off the West Coast. And you made it to be national. And I don't, you know, we were talking earlier today. People do not understand what it takes to become a national officer. And like you said, you are responsible for a ton of people's lives. A ton of them. And for him to come off something like that. And like I said to the people today, this is the last time Chuck gets any uh, airtime on my show. Because he is... That kind of person, like you said, where he's just trying to get the attention. Now, we were nice enough and told them, when you come to Chicago, we're going to set up an in-person debate. Because when people are talking like that, you want to talk to them in person and have a debate. And we're going to have the club side of it. So we were going to have it at a clubhouse. And all of a sudden, he didn't want to show. So right there, it shows a lot of people what the dude's about. Well... It, it goes back to MC protocol and it kind of makes me laugh because he mixes bikerism with MCism and they are really kind of two different things because if he were into this world and he were invited somewhere, he wouldn't be alone. His club brothers would show up. Right. So he'd have nothing to fear. His, his sergeant would grow and we'd roll over here and handle this business. And that's something that he will never taste. Maybe he will taste it. Maybe he'll, uh, he'll, he'll uh, have what it takes one day to, to uh, you know, the motorcycle club is about we. There's no my, me, I in the MC. And those people that are about that, they don't last long or they don't have good careers or we see them getting uh, patched out and we, and, and, and you're up out of here. The thing that you have to understand about an MC is that you must give everything you are. And here's the part that I hate and expect nothing in return. The MC is fallible. It's made of human beings. Human beings are fallible. The MC is not some thing that rides in the sky like, like a god or something. It's made of human beings that have their fallacies and they're going to let you down. And everything you do for the MC, you do for the greater good of the MC and the greater good of your brothers and your brotherhood, despite their raggedy asses. And forgive me for cursing. So I got raggedy dudes around me and I'm raggedy, but we're going to love each other. And we're going to support each other and we're going to hold each other up 
and we're going to fight through our base tendencies. We're not going to mess with each other's women. We're not going to screw a brother's wife. We're not going to steal a brother's bike or take a brother's money or take advantage of the treasury. And these are all things that can happen, and we have to work harder each time to be better than we were yesterday. And the MC is about a growing experience of taking people and bringing them into your extended family and loving them sometimes better or more than a family that you didn't have or better or more than a family that you do have. Because these people have dedicated their lives to being your brothers and your sisters. And it's something that a narcissist will never understand. A me person will never understand why are you giving to those people and they don't deserve to be given to. And I don't do it because they deserve it. I do it because I love them. They are my motorcycle club brothers and sisters. It doesn't get any 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 plainer than that. Man, I couldn't have said something. You know what? I've learned so much from you since finding your channel. And uh, I want to let my audience know that, you know, I do have, you know, I do talk to a lot of the clubs out there. And they are really appreciative. They actually send prospects to your channel. Uh, to look at your stuff and I want the, the people out there to know that that you know yeah we got our differences in the club scene you got you know you got your whites your blacks your mixed all that stuff but these clubs are sending their prospects to your channel to learn what you have to say and you know that's a big big accomplishment there and I, just like I said I still learn from you and I've been in it forever <laughs> Well, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, you and I talk a lot, and I learn from you, too. And I'm, I've been thankful to guys like you and Dibber who have uh, taken me in um, and, and just really um, helped me. I, you know, I can, never, I can never thank Dibber enough. I, I like to thank him publicly. You know, we don't always agree on everything, but uh, the guy always looks out. I, I can say the same about you as well. Um, and, and so, I don't know. I never expected any of this stuff. I never expected to be walking around a motorcycle shop and everybody knows me. I, 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 I made this thing for Black Sabbath guys because I was um, kind of upset with the way my brothers were handling things. And, and uh, there was so much misinformation, especially as the, the internet was coming on. And you had all these channels coming up all over the place. And I, I just started really on Facebook um, until Big Cell from uh, FHO uh, only, uh, FHO Atlanta GA. He's another YouTube guy. And uh, Big Cell told me about YouTube. And that's, that's the only way I, I got to YouTube. And that was actually, no, this is crazy. Um, there was a guy that was a president for me. And he left my club and... You know, it was ugly. It was just terrible. And this is how the MC works. One day he calls me up and he says, listen, I've been watching what you're doing on Facebook. And I think you need to get in touch with Big Cell. And to me, that was like, why would this guy reach out to you? Because how we broke up was terrible. He left the motorcycle club, et cetera, et cetera. But it was the strength of the brotherhood. It never leaves you. And he felt that I would be a good energy on something like YouTube, and he figured Big Cell would teach me how to use it. And from Big Cell came Gibber, then came you, and just on and on. So it's a it's a wild circle we run in now, man. Rock and roll it is, man. But uh, you you're, you got your shit going on right now, man. Let me tell you, I love that new uh, news format. And uh, when you get the teleprompter to be even uh, better, I think. But you're kicking butt, man. You're killing it. <laughs> I, I tell everyone you got to work hard to keep up with you every time I come up with something new I look around and you got something new so it's like uh, um, it, it's tough but I think we're going to have fun I'm excited about the uh, um, new uh, 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 blogging uh, not blogging but podcasting I'm getting ready to start doing and once again that's uh, your coaching uh, you've been telling me everything I need to do, every program I need to buy, uh, every every application I need to get, and I just can't thank you enough. So I'm excited about what we've got coming up December the 1st. Uh, it'll be my first attempt at blogging. I've, I've had a radio program before, so I think I'll be all right at it. But um, 
you know, you got to work hard. And, you know, one thing Cheese did say, Cheese did uh, have a, uh, he had a thing, he had this thing where he was telling people how to make money online. He was talking about having a YouTube channel. And one thing that he did say that was, that was really true is that people think you put these things up and you make money and it just comes in. You have to work. I mean, how many hours you got, you put in 15, 16 hours a day at the minimum. Yeah. You, you got to work to have these channels. You've got your YouTube channel. You've got your podcast. You've got your, your website with your news on it every day. You're up at four in the morning. I mean, I, I know we talk <laughs> you and I call each other and talk in the middle of the night. You're up when I'm up, you know, you don't even, you just pick up the phone and call. So, you know, it takes a lot to make these things go. I don't think that people really have a good idea of how much work we put in these channels, but um, if I'm doing good, it's because you've helped me. And uh, if I'm doing good, it's, if I'm looking good, it's because I look over at your stuff and you've got this, this new logo where you got these skulls coming out of the ground. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. Hell no. <laughs> well, it's a friendly competition. And what I like, and I always tell the people on the channel is we got so many sources now that we never had that it's exciting to be in the, the industry. Now, you know, we got all kinds of news coming out. It's exciting to be a biker. But the one thing I would tell folks, and I've heard you say this before, you have to qualify who you're getting your information from, especially when you're talking about stuff like MC protocol. And, um, when you're talking about stuff like, um, how you're running clubs and things like that, you have to be careful. If you're looking at a, a guy, he's talking all this noise and there's no picture of him riding with his motorcycle club, no video, no, nothing that you can see that you can touch. And the last time he rode with his motorcycle club was 40 years ago. Then you have to take him for that kind of information. You, you, he, he hasn't been on the ground recently. Right. So what could he know? So you gotta, you know, you, you need to do sometimes just a little due diligence. You can do a YouTube search on a person's name. And if they've been out there doing something for a while, you're going to see it. Like, like, um, you're going to go look at uh, Adam Sandoval. If you're going to type in Adam Sandoval's name, I mean, you would be able to see just a line of work that this guy has produced uh, that that would put credit to watching his channel and, and maybe taking what he said as something true. Because um, we're going to get a lot of these guys that look at this and they start, they're going to start popping up almost like a pop-up club. And, um, you know, like cheese, they're going to have a lot to say and they're going to be articulate. Right. And they're going to be well-spoken and they're going to be masters with cameras and masters with storytelling and masters at presenting and marketing and, uh, uh, and, and editing and all these kinds of things. And you can't let the frilly stuff fool you. Oh, you're point on, man. Point on. Well, I appreciate having you on the show, BD. I'm going to be wrapping her up. But if you guys haven't checked out uh, Black Dragon's channel, it's called Black Dragon TV now. And uh, it's over here on YouTube. Also, he has a biker news site coming out as well as a podcast coming out. So you guys got to go out there, check it out. You get all kinds of viewpoints from different uh, things like uh, BD says. You know, he don't agree on, we don't all agree on the same things because we got all kinds of different uh, viewpoints. But uh, go check it out, get informed. But I appreciate having you on, BD. Thanks, Hollywood. Have a great evening. You too. I'd be willing to bet you a handful of sticky nickels that you ain't heard about the great deals we got going on down here at Transcentus Shoppers right now in Love's Park. How about six months of winter storage for only 200 bucks? We also got a bunch of great deals on custom parts, too. With our full machine shop, we make everything right here in-house. Handlebars, exhaust, sissy bars, frames, we do it all. We're your one-stop shop. So give us a call at 815-978-1228 and let us know what we can do for you. Transcentus Shoppers, built with pride, built to ride. Hey, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Hop on over and check out our new YouTube channel where you can hear Motorcycle Madhouse and watch the Biker Angle. You 
can look up the new channel by going to our website, HarleyLiberty.com, or Insane Throttle Biker News in the YouTube channel search bar. Don't forget to have that prospect hit the subscribe button and that bell in the upper right-hand corner so you will always be up to date with the new channel content. Motorcycle Madhouse with James Hollywood Machi Kari. Yep, yep, good to yep. go. Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on iHeartRadio. On today's Legends of the Motorcycle Scene, Freddie Marsh inducted 2002 into the AMA Hall of Fame. He was a lifetime motorcycle enthusiast, racer, Indian, and Moto Guzzi dealer. He was also a hill climber from 1924 to 1988, and he continued to ride into his hundreds until his death. Freddie Marsh amassed an amateur racing career that lasted longer than many people live. Propelled by a love of motorcycling that persisted even after he surpassed 100 years of age. Marsh raced in seven different decades. He also owned dealerships in Connecticut from 1926 until the time of his death in 2003. Born in Italy in 1900, Marsh came to the United States with his family while he was still an infant. Like so many other new immigrant families, Marsh's parents struggled to make a living. After his mother died when Freddie was 12, the family fell apart and Freddie found himself living and working on a farm in Connecticut. On that farm, he found the seed of a lifelong addiction in the form of the owner's motorcycle, which Freddie was allowed to ride around the fields and unpaved roads on the 100-acre farm. Those days were his first lessons in finding traction on dirt, and they would pay off many times over the coming decades. Marsh used money he earned by working as a streetcar conductor in Hartford, Connecticut, to buy his first motorcycle, a Harley-Davidson, and later snagged a job at the Harley dealership. In 1922, he built what he described as, quote, a homebrew motorcycle, end quote, to race in the 500cc class. Like so many other Harley riders of the time, he took one cylinder off his 1,000cc machine to go racing. In 1926, Indian approached Marsh to see if he was interested in opening a dealership in Hartford. The Springfield, Massachusetts company had already passed its peak, but Indian made an offer Marsh couldn't refuse. So he quit his job at the Harley dealership and went into business selling Indians. As a dealer, Marsh could get his hands on an Indian race bike. The race bikes of the air were little more than an engine, two wheels, and a kill switch. With no brakes or transmissions, racers would scrub off speed by hitting the kill switch into the corner. Marsh traveled all over the Northeast, racing flat track. And somewhere along the line, maybe due to the determined look in the dark eyes or the way he rode, he picked up the nickname Demon. For years after he gave up flat track racing, Marsh continued with the race hill climbs. He built a variety of hill climb machines from the Norton, AGS, and other brands of machines he sold after Indian stopped producing motorcycles in 1953. Marsh's many years as a dealer and a racer meant that motorcyclists all across the region knew of him. A lot of guys in their 50s and 60s will tell you they bought their first motorcycle from him, said Leo Castell, editor and publisher of the Motorcycle Post a monthly magazine based in Connecticut. Quote, Freddy's a real institution up here, end quote. In his final years, Marsh spent his days at the Moto Guzzi dealership in East Windsor. That was run by his nephew, Alan Marks. Even after he surpassed 100 years of age, Marsh rode an old Indian bag 50cc scooter. His frail health and failing eyesight meant he was limited to riding laps on the parking lot at his dealership. But he maintained that regimen of riding 75 laps each morning, which kept him going. His love of motorcycling was evident as he circled the lot, turning left in the smooth oval. Just like his old uh, dirt track days, with a smile permanently on his place. March died uh, June 8th of 2003. 
and he is your legend of the motorcycle scene. The number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode. Don't want to fuck with. Your mouth all glued up with Connie juice. I asked you a question. Oh my god, this girl's really turning me on. Suck me sideways. Are you gonna pull those pistols and whistle Dixie? Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on iHeartRadio. The truth about Motorcycle Club Protocol and why bikers have it wrong about the Confederation of Clubs. And the test subject here is the very reason why Motorcycle Protocol exists. It seems we have a guy named Fernando, and God knows I can't pronounce this last damn name, not in my Chicago accent, but we'll give it a try. Diarajo, and it looks like he's doing a repeat of Big Pete's Cosmic Rider scene. Uh, He is actually an Outbad member of, of the Outlaws MC, and he's doing the ga- the patch game. We were we noticed that uh, he's out there trying to sell patches, and what we heard is once he sells the patches, he's telling them unsuspected people to don't go to a clubhouse to get their support patches. Well, as you know, that don't work too well, but that is why protocol is there. It helps you sniff out these kinds of guys because you got a hierarchy that you go to to get the information you know that you're not getting something bad. Now, I wrote an article on this, and it's actually on Insane Throttle Biker News today. And go over there and take a look at it. But for those who are just on YouTube, let me read it real quick for you. I believe that this is one of the most misunderstood topics, and this goes to protocol, within the biker scene. Most bikers who do not have any experience with clubs are quick to jump on the bandwagon of those who are pop-up clubs. (laughs) You gotta admit, they are. Uh, The pop-up clubs argument, many times we've heard this one. Why should we have to ask permission from a dominant club? This is a free country. Basically, let me set the record straight on that argument. People who go out and start a pop-up club without following the traditional routes, which have been in existence since the mid-60s at the very least, are cowards. There are two reasons why people do not go through the traditional route of joining a motorcycle club. And here they are. One, they are either out bad, like this Fernando we're going to talk about. I'm going to put him up on the screen in a minute. And again, we'll have more about this schmuck in a second. From well-established clubs, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard of people being put out bad from a legitimate club and turning around and pulling the stunts that this guy's doing or starting their own shit. Two, people cannot put enough effort and dedication into going through the process of the hangaround and prospect period, or if your club has it, a probationary period. These types of people wish to buy their patches without earning them. There are also the type of people who use the premise of brotherhood to make money off unsuspecting people. And they're uneducated. Let me tell you some of these people. Now, case in freaking point. Here he is, right here. This is that uh, guy we uh, recently uncovered this douche is trying to sell patches online for clubs to start, like we talked about earlier. Yes, it's a repeat of Peter James's scam with the Cosmic Riders. He talks so openly about in his work of fiction. Anyways, it's our understanding that this Ferdinando is not only selling patches online to unsuspecting bikers, 
he is also telling them to pick up their support patches from a local chapter. I thought Pete took the cake on Deception, but this Fernando is right up there with him. How low can someone actually go in their pursuit of money? <laughs> you gotta ask yourself that. How low can they really go? And, you know, as I'm talking about this, I know for a fact that the Outlaws MC and members of the Outlaws are some of the most honorable people in the motorcycle club scene. The actions of this Fernando should in no way reflect upon them. He's an outbad schmuck, just like Big Pete James. And when his deception was discovered, he got booted. I'm inserting this schmuck's Facebook page on the article so you can see it over there on Insane Throttle. So go over there and take a look at it. Oh, uh, and I might be actually making up an outbad page for clubs to send in if they want, but uh, that's something at another time. But you know, this is one of the major reasons why protocol exists. So people are educated on what goes on, especially those that don't know nothing about the motorcycle club scene. <laughs> so don't listen to these idiots out there that have never wore a patch, never been through the prospect or hanging around period, because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Because if you think about it logically, how the hell are they going to talk about something that they never been through in the first place. Now, let's see here. Let's talk about freaking the confederations of clubs now. Because I know there's a ton of misinformation and mistruths about the COC out there. Now, it is one of the mis most misunderstood organizations out there, again. Uh... This from their page, the Confederation of Clubs, is set in place to provide protection for motorcyclists and to promote the freedom of motorcycle clubs. The aim of the organization is to discourage discrimination towards motorcyclists. So, before I go on any further about the COC, I wanted you guys to actually hear it from them. My name's Jeff Rabe. I'm involved in motorcycle rights through INCOM and the Modified Motorcycle Association as well as the Confederation of Clubs. Been involved in fighting for motorcyclist rights for the last 20 years. Because of the participation in the states through the clubs and the confederations, we've become much stronger. Motorcycle rights organizations such as MMA and the bank started this. It gave us uh, opportunity to become freedom fighters for motorcycle rights because of income. Without the tool of income, it probably wouldn't have gotten as far as fast as we have. And I say fast, over the last 20 years we've made some progress. It doesn't seem like fast, but we are making progress. I suggest that everybody look into income, give it an opportunity, see what it's doing in your own state, and then see what it's doing nationally. Make up your own mind. I think you'll go with income. Thank you. All across the nation, patch holders from different motorcycle clubs get together at Confederation of Clubs meetings. Here are scenes from a Confederation meeting in Monterey, California, one of seven confederations in that state. The topics covered are local, state, and national. Here's an overview. We'll begin, as we always do, with your approval, with a, a short prayer followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We do face some legality sitting up here on the board that uh, can get rather serious from time to time. As you may or may not know, the brothers have gone through several different situations and we, we uh, are fully aware of keeping our money and our documents all in order and stuff like that so that we cannot be considered a gang. We have something that is a Monterey Bay Area Confederation of Clubs original. These are trophies that are assembled by the clubs out of old motorcycle parts. And we award these to different categories. We have uh, awards for the best bike, horse bike, uh, oldest rider, oldest bike. One of the other contests we have is the world's fastest prospect. And how does that work? 
the prospects get way down the end of the field, and they have to run up to me on the stage, and the first prospect there is the winner. Now, that's, that's not the whole, whole thing. Every club that has a prospect out there gets to have two blockers out there. <laughs> yes, this thing can get a little hairy, but it's all good fun. We have an ambulance on standby. You've got an issue with a particular officer in a particular department. They pull you over for no reason to profile you or whatever. They're violating your civil rights. Now that could lead up to a lot of different things. You start with filing the complaint. Let Joey's office know about it, but file a complaint. Keep a record of it. This paperwork tells you how to start with internal affairs and it goes all the way up to the Attorney General of the, of the state. If that doesn't work, it goes to the Attorney General of the United States. If the officers step over the line, we have those police harassment cards for you guys. That way you can give us a record of those cops that are stepping over the line because one instance isn't enough. Uh, we need a pattern of discrimination. This limited power of attorney is kind of a generic thing where you just fill it in. I so-and-so give so-and-so. Now that from the Confederation of Clubs themselves. So all this bullshit that's put out about them is it's horse shit. And another uh, reference I'd like to point you to is the Sons of Silence uh, website. A couple weeks ago, we talked about J.R., and actually, it was Leonard uh, Lloyd Reed. He was go he go he went by Jr. A man I believe is in the top three influential men in the history of motorcycling, uh, and a man who had a great deal of faith and work into the Confederation of Clubs. So go over to their website and check it out. You know, when I was first coming up in the motorcycle club scene in the early 90s, the Confederation was just starting to spread its wings, if you will. And thankfully so, because in the 90s, especially the early 90s, this was a time when guys were getting thrown off their bikes, uh, spread eagle, your face thrown into the mud, and Leo was really out of control, and the rights of motorcycle club members were being violated, violated every chance, you know, these cops got. There would be no way back then you would catch anyone associating with cops. Unlike today's biker, actually, the easiest way you can tell if someone lived through those times and we're actually involved in the biker scene is simple. Do they possess a desire in any which way to work with Leos or be a part of their organizations? That's how you can tell they didn't go through the early 90s, 80s, or late 70s. Again, because cops back then didn't give a shit one bit about bikers. So, where does this misconception of the Confederation of Clubs come from. It's very interesting, actually. Protocol and the Confederation of Clubs are always tied together by those that are uninformed. This is mostly because of people who are ignorant of the scene. I'm here reading off the article right now. These people are always trying to equate the two as being one in the same. They are not. Just because the member clubs of the Confederation use the traditional protocol does not mean that's what the Confederation is all about. It's that fallacy which is spread by people who go out and try and start these pop-up clubs or are plain and simple members of law enforcement. Shit, you got that alliance of law-abiding uh, bikers that pushes that bullshit through uh, Ryan Erlacher's dumb shit program. Uh, the Confederation of Clubs does not have any part in deciding who gets to open a motorcycle club in the area. The Confederation of Clubs is a motorcycle club's rights organization, pure and simple. Pure and simple. It's just like ABAY is to the independent, but the COC is for club members. Protocol and starting up clubs 
are solely with the dominant club. The COC, again, has nothing to do with that. The COC is there to fight for motorcycle clubs' rights. Ask yourself this very simple question. It's a very simple question. Do you think the lawyers, and you've seen one in this video, would participate in the Confederation of Clubs, would, would have any party to anything that people are saying about the Confederation of Clubs? Do you think they would have party to people who are saying it's the Confederation that are on the streets messing with people? No, they wouldn't. Come on, use your freaking brain. Uh, but that's the problem. Isn't it? <laughs> People don't use common sense at all these days. 2018 has brought an influx of people who are quite honestly retards. These are people who believe they speak on something, like I said earlier, they have no experience with and have no knowledge about at all. But they'll still go out there and speak on it. You know, uh... These are the type of people that fall for scams that this Fernando is putting out there, this Pete James is currently putting out there. They're ignorant of how motorcycle club traditions are set in place. And the reason being is to protect them from being taken advantage of. Or civilians to be terrorized by rogue groups. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. The conclusion of all this is guys like Fernando and Pete James are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to people who are out there waiting to take advantage of you. Don't be ignorant. They thrive on people who do not know any better in the hopes of exploiting that weakness. And I'm not immune to this. I fell for Pete James's bullshit. And that's because I didn't do my due diligence. I fell for it. I took a hit on my journalistic credibility because of that. And I'm working every day to build that back up. But, again, protocol is there to help you from people like Pete James and Fernando. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari, host of the Popular Biker Angle on YouTube and Motorcycle Madhouse's radio podcast on iHeartRadio. I like to invite everyone to check out my new books, The New Age of Biking and Brotherhood, and the number one new release in the transportation history category, Iron Order Motorcycle Club, the year that changed the motorcycle club scene. You will get a no-nonsense look at the current happenings in the scene. Both titles are available on paperback and Kindle through all major retailers, as well as an audio version of both of the books on Insane Throttle Publishing. Rock on! Sinister, how you doing, my man? How are you, bro? I'm doing pretty good, my man. Doing pretty good. Figure, let's talk some Harley Davidson, and you're a steel worker, and I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the steel uh, tariffs and what you guys think about that right now. And as you know, you know, the reason why this means so much to me is because my old man, he actually worked at Thompson's in Franklin Park, Thompson Steel, I believe, before they uh, went out of business. I think I got family. Wow. Yeah, I think I got people at Nelson Steel right now. But uh, okay. tell me uh, your thoughts on this deal, because I just had an interview with uh, somebody overseas in Germany. And by the way, man, the reason uh, why uh, that sounded so screwed up in that interview, because she was 5,000 miles away, and I think they're using World War II uh type of uh, technology still but uh wh oh, I hear you. why do you what's your thoughts on this uh tariff that was put in place and the way harley davidson's acting you know with all the tariffs that are getting put out there now this is helping all the steel industry this steel industry needed that because they were shipping in so much junk they were bringing in all this garbage steel and and they were, they were flooding the markets. And when they flooded the markets like that, it killed our steel industry with that NAFTA and that free uh, trade agreement. There was nothing free about it, man. They were turning around. 
and sending all their stuff here. We would send our goods and our stuff over there, and then nobody was buying any of our stuff in the United States. It would sit on their shelves or got put to the side. You know, now that you put all this this um, tear-offs out there, you know, now they're thinking, oh, man, it's going to cost us a lot of money to, to bring back, you know, all their goods over here now. And now they're stuck with all their stuff, you know? Right. Um, the, steel mill, the steel mill industry right now is picking up because you put those tear-offs on, you know? These companies, China and, and, and different places out there where these companies are running away from these unions, and trying to get cheaper labor and stuff like that. That's why they're all running to all these different places in Mexico, Brazil, um, for cheaper cheaper pricing, you know. Oh, they got sweatshops out there, and, and these guys are, are doing whatever they can to, to lessen the buck, you know. Um, here in the United States, you know, we make product. It's, it's, it's quality steel. You know, they make good steel. And um, we need the steel mills out here, especially out here in Indiana. We have all these steel mills. There's four major ones out here, and um, we need them. This is, you know, we go to war or anything happens, you need your steel mills to make the bullets, to make the, the tanks, to make that stuff for, you know, airplanes, everything out here. You know, our steel mills go down. Man, everything goes downhill. Right, you know? right. Now, what's your thoughts on Harley-Davidson specifically? Now, they've been going and having a tough time for, it has to be, what, six years that they've been in a downward spiral? Don't quote me on that, but, you know, they've been on a real downward spiral, and now all of a sudden they're uh, crying and whining using the steel industry as the patsy. No, I don't. I don't think it's so much a steel industry. I, I think you hit it right on the head when when you told the lady uh, in Germany over there, and you said, you know, they started uh, building these Harleys for these lawyers and doctors, and and building these Harleys that cost you know thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, and the average Joe like me couldn't turn around and, and just walk in and buy a fifty thousand dollar Harley, you know, and then uh, you know it's just expensive. Then you got all these other different brands out there now. You know, like you said, Indian. Indian's coming up, and and if you look at the new Indians, they're they're showing these. Um, how do you want to say? Uh, like GPS systems on them, where you just self test everything. And these bikes are a little bit less. You know, they're they're comfortable riding bikes. They're nice. They're American made too. Um, a lot of people I know out there are, are not only just buying them. But they're buying, you know, Honda, they're buying uh, Suzuki, they're buying all these other, you know, brand bikes, you know, they're comfortable rides, got GPS, got stereo systems on them, a lot cheaper, paid 20 grand for them, you know, brand new, and they give them a good warranty with them, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, they tell them, as long as you own this bike, you bring it here, you get a free oil change. You know, these, these guys, that's just the way it's happening. Harley... You know, it's coming out with a lot of stuff, and um, it's expensive. You know, even my bike, is, I got a Harley-Davidson, and I got, you know, my little rice burger, too. But um, I break down a lot. I like my Harley. I like to listen to them pipes, you know, and run. And um, I break down a lot, you know. And I got to turn around, and, and I'm not real, um, how do you want to say, real mechanical at fixing my Harley. You know, but if you, you grab me with my Suzuki, I'll rip that thing apart and rip it in pieces and build it back together. But my Harley, I, I, I mess with it. I'll tear off the wheels, you know, mess with stuff here and there. YouTube and Google are like your best friend because you sit there and you type it in and you try to figure out what you're doing and how you're doing it. And you got guys who do have Harleys that come over and help you out, you know, and that's, that's been a good thing. But Harley's expensive. Every time I went to buy a part, and HD means $100, you know that. Right, right, right. <laughs> now, uh, where do you think the union bosses uh, are following, you know, f f falling on this? Uh, what side of this argument you think they're going on, man? You think they're loving uh, the tariffs, or what do you think? Oh, definitely. All the companies are going to start making out. You're going to see all these companies start going up because, you know, the steel industry is going up. Once the steel industry starts going up, these other companies um, – they have to buy the steel that's it's American-made. They're going to have to buy it from here because if they buy it from China or wherever else, they're getting bad steel, and they're paying probably double double the price 
to get that steel over here. So I'm guaranteeing that they're going to buy it from here. These companies, like the steel mills that I'm working for, you know, they're making money now. You know, they're actually going to start making a profit and, and, you know, hopefully starts bringing people back to work. You know, there's a lot of people that have been laid off and, um, you know, been hurt by it. I've seen, I've watched these steel mills, you know, in the last 20 years, I was at one, it went down two times and I was stuck out in the street, you know, unemployment because the steel mills went down and, um, that NAFTA had a lot to do with it, you know, and, uh, that hurt us, you know, and, and I couldn't believe they did it. And, you know, like you said, Trump did, he does some goofy stuff, but, um, He's pretty smart with the business sense, you know, and, and he started putting them tear-offs and stuff in there and started helping the American people and bringing them back up. He's running America like it's a business, and that's what they needed. This is what the United States needs. Right, right. Well, you know what? It, it's quite sad when, you know, because when i seen the reports coming out that Harley's going to try to circumvent and go around, uh, you know, having to uh, build the bikes in uh, the United States. And when that CEO tried to come out and spin it, that, well, it's never been about made in the USA. It's been uh, about freedom and all that crap. You know how they try to spin that yeah. stuff. But uh, then, yeah. well, the next thing is, well, we're just going to do it for bikes over there. But... Harley Davidson in the eighty and and a lot of the 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 fans out of the show they're young kids they don't they weren't around during this time but in the eighties right. Reagan actually came out and put a forty percent something tariff on import motorcycles from other countries and kept Harley Davidson alive and it was uh you know the dirty greasy biker that kept Harley in business. And then comes the mid-90s with the rubs, and next thing you know, ever since then, it's been shot through the roof with pricing. Right. And if you walk into a Harley-Davidson dealer, and I challenge anybody to do this, walk in there and you know, with all your tattoos, stuff like that, they rather have a doctor or dentist walk in there, them salespeople, than a regular working man. Oh, definitely, definitely, and and that's pretty much anywhere though. That's pretty much anywhere. If you walk in and you're looking raggedy, and and you know, my mom was a steel worker for many many years. My mom did thirty years inside the steel mill, um, and I remember her telling me she went to this car lot and she still had her work clothes on, and in the steel mill they wear these greens. You know, they're they're flame retardant greens. And um, she said her face was all dirty. She goes, Mark, she goes, I go up there. I'm looking at these bands. Hey, Mark. These bands are like $40,000. Hey, Mark, let me cut in real quick. We got Good Time Charlie in the house over on Facebook from BIC Radio. Good Time is in the house. Everybody, if you guys haven't uh, checked out Good Time Charlie, he is a legend. He's a freaking mentor to anybody that's in this business, and he's the man. But go ahead, uh uh, sinister. So, you know, she went in there and they wouldn't even talk to her because the way she looked. So I imagine if you go inside of a Harley place, if I went in there with dirty clothes on and looked raggedy, I'm sure they're going to look at you like you don't have money to spend in here, buddy. This place is too much for you, you know? Right. And it's sad. It's sad because it was the working man, the blue collar man who bought and supported Harley Davidson all those years, you know, and he turned their backs on him. Right. So, you know, they basically stuck the knife to themselves, you know? Right, right. There's still a lot of people out there that love Harley because that, that's that's all they had all their life is Harley Davidson. But, you know, now you got to swallow this one, man. It, it, it's a tough one. But keep your old Harleys, you know? Stay working on them. But right. you have to go out there. Like you said, there's Harleys out there now that you can buy them off. A lot cheaper because the doctor rode it for 4,000 miles, and then now he doesn't want to ride it no more. He's done. Well, buy that Harley because then it's cheaper there, you know? Right. Now, what local are you with? I'm local with uh, 150 operating engineers. We're inside the steel mill, LTV, Inland. Um, it's all actually considered ArcelorMittal, and then there's U.S. Steel. We're inside all these steel mills. Actually, 150 operating engineers, we do all the heavy equipment, um, running cranes to, to reprocessing all their steel, reprocessing all their um, 
you know, their slides to that they get out of the, the furnaces and stuff. And we reprocess it and sell it to guys, you know, they're doing concrete and mixing up in concrete trucks. Different kinds of materials go for different stuff, you know. Sometimes they sell it back to the steel mills after we reprocess everything, you know. Right. Now, we're, you know, I know the local union uh, bosses are probably loving the stuff that Trump's doing. But is your 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 main uh, office, man, are they behind them or are they still uh, throwing their money to the left? Um, you know, I want to say, you know, our union is more worried about what's going on. You know, they, they like the, they like the fact that the mills are all picking up because it's getting all our guys back to work too. Um, you know, especially this time of year, a lot of the guys who work on the outside construction, you know, they have a chance to come inside the mills and work there, you know, for Christmas time and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I think they're just they're just watching to see how everything's gonna go. They're just taking it, you know, day by day. Like our steel mills picked up a lot, right? So I know my company is making buku bucks, and you know, when it comes time for a raise, hopefully, you know, instead of us getting fifty cents, they'll give us a little bit more of a boost. You know, I know the steel workers just landed their contract, and supposedly. In the three dollar range, you just got a, a raise for the next three years or four years. It's like three dollars every year plus all kinds of other incentive things. Right. So they're planning on something that they're going to make a lot of money. You know. Right. Right. Rock and roll, man. Well, I really appreciate yeah, you uh, coming on the show, man, and freaking. You know, Insane Throttle is a huge supporter, as you know, of unions, man. We back them a thousand percent. You know, there's nothing better than and unions. We love it. <laughs> we love it, brother. We love it. Guarantee. I love you so, Hollywood. Rock and roll, man. You know, yes, yesterday you guys had DD on there, and man, my eyes lit up with him, and Dick was on there, and, and it was just amazing. I, I'd like to see all three of you guys get on the air right there together and just go at it back and forth, you know? Well, we're going to try. That's an awesome, awesome thing. We're going to try, man. I got to reach out to Good Time Charlie, man. Get him on. You guys will love him. I really love Good Time Charlie. Uh, you know. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to come down to the studio and sit down there with you. Hell yeah. Well, you know, December 14th for Neon 1%er, man, we got that benefit, man. I'm going to be up there and we're going to be doing live. Uh, you should be up there uh, coming to party. You have to put it up, man, so I can see it. Rock and roll, man. Yeah, I'll post it up and um, I'll see everything that we're doing. Uh, it's going to be Friday. It's Friday at 7.30 if you want to come. What area? Uh, it's up at the state line, man, uh, right over there uh, by Beloit and South Beloit. Yeah, I have to find that on my map here. I'm all the way out by Kell City. I don't know if you know where Kell City is. Oh, man, you're way to hell out there. I'm on the south side. <laughs> man, you a south side boy, man. <laughs> hey, man, what do you think yeah, about uh, Chuck E. Cheese claiming he was from Chicago, man? Don't that piss you off? <laughs> you know, I, I, I finally went, when, when I was trying to figure out what you guys were talking about, it, you know, that was that bozo I was watching, and um, I would watch him sometimes, and, and I was trying to figure out what the hell was wrong with him, if he was retarded or what was going on with him, because he was talking about these bags the other day, some kind of bags, and he was sleeping out and out in the middle of the desert and uh, sleeping next to his bike and around corners and everything else. And then when, when I seen um, P.E. talking about this Chuck E. Cheese, I said, that's that same goofy summer bitch I see the other day. <laughs> I said, what is wrong with that dude? And then I said, that's the guy who wears the Chicago rocker. I go, he, he comes to Chicago wearing that rocker. I said, they're going to rock it all right. They're going to rip that old vest off his head. They're damn said, right, hey, man. That, that dude's... That dude's dangerous doing that. I, you know, and he's in what, New Mexico or right. somewhere down there. It's a crazy state. But I mean, you're, you're rocking Chicago. I, I, I don't understand it. You know, I, I don't. Just wear your, your, your jean vest and just travel and do your thing, man. Enjoy life. You're on two wheels. Hey, he's looking, out there enjoy he, life, man. He's looking for attention, man. <laughs> he's looking for something. He's one of them prostitutes over there in Halston, you know, help him out because he's got some brain damage. That dude, Rock and roll. 
Well, welcome uh, to the Throttle, man. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, man, and being a part of the segment. But we are going to get moving on, Sinister, so I really appreciate it, buddy. All right. Thanks, Hollywood. I love your show, man. Love you, buddy. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to New Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and check me out over on Biker Angle. Also, get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. What's in store this holiday at your local Staples? Gifts and packages shipped with care. So you can relax in knowing they'll soon be there. Now at Staples, you get 15% off UPS shipping services and 15% off all shipping supplies. Plus, Staples is open seven days a week. So you can ship around your schedule this holiday. And still get everything out in time while spending less. Staples, there's a whole lot in store this holiday. Exclusions apply. In-store only, see Associate for details. Ends 12 29 18